Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. Glad you guys could be a part online. We already got done catching up here in service in person, so we're going to jump into our message today. Today is our last uh, week doing the Loyal series. And this series, we've been just going throughout the book of Ruth and learning about loyalty. And I feel like we've really pulled out um, so much about loyalty from people that we didn't even necessarily expect to see in Scripture. Um, and we're finishing off with the last chapter of Ruth. Um, and today's title is Bigger Than Me. Bigger Than Me. Um, and I want to start off by, by looking at the first chapter of Ruth. As we close out um, a book, I, I feel like whenever we're studying something, it, it's good to, when you get at the end of it, to reflect on what the beginning was like. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so let's look at what the first scriptures uh, talked about. This is a key verse, some key verses. So they both went on until they came to Bethlehem. Remember, Naomi's husband and sons all died, and now Ruth is uh, going back with her to her homeland. And when they, when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Lord Almighty has afflicted me? You know, this is a, this is a really serious tone that Naomi uh, causes us to start this message with, because it's... That was a ghost, y'all. <laughs> this place is haunted. We need to get out of here. It, it, it shows that anyone bring a Ouija board today? Just be honest, okay? <laughs> um, it shows that it shows really what a lot of us feel in our, in our emotions when we go through intense struggles. It truly feels that God is against us in those times. When we're going through pain, when we're going through bitterness... It's almost like we go through these moments where we look back and when of how we used to be happy, of how we used to, to see ourselves like pleasant and almost like gullible, naive. That was before I knew how the world really was. And we see how this happened to Naomi and it caused her to leave that pain and those struggles bitter and bitter towards life, bitter towards God. And the fog of our pain in the present or in the past makes it too difficult to see any hope or purpose in the future. You ever feel like that? The pains that we go through in life make us feel like nothing ever good can happen in the future. Y'all feel me? That's where Naomi is at the beginning of this story. Now let's go into the big chunk of our message today. And the first thing we're going to talk about is redeemers. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, we're going to, look at what kind of people are loyal. And so here we see that loyal people uh, are redeemers, redeemers. And what this really shows is that loyalty is not self-seeking. Loyalty is not self-seeking, it's selfless. And this scripture 
um, what we see is Boaz go to the nearest kin for Ruth to ask uh, to see if he is going to redeem uh, Ruth or not. And this is a dialogue that happens. It says, So I thought that I would inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people, if you will redeem it. Redeem it. But if not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one except you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the, Mo the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, otherwise I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have the right of redemption since I cannot redeem it. So what we see here is Boaz going to the nearest person to redeem the land of the deceased, the land of Naomi's husband, the land of her sons. And it, it, in this culture, when it comes to in-laws, there's actual legal implications that a brother-in-law had. And that was if the, if the man died, he was supposed to, uh, died without children, he was actually supposed to provide children for the deceased so that his na name wouldn't go out. Um, and, and so it implied having sexual relations with, uh, with the, the widow of the, the deceased in order to produce a child because there wasn't artificial insemination then, right? And what we're seeing in this dialogue is that Boaz goes to the nearest kin because he was the nearest one, and so it went to him first, and then it was at, uh, if he didn't want it, it went to Boaz. And Boaz almost does it in a like strategic way of presenting like just the the good parts first. You can you can have the land you want to buy it. It has uh, this is good land, and he's like, oh yeah, that sounds great. It's like I just got you know an inheritance from a relative that I didn't even know about, and I got some money uh, to come to me. And he's like, okay, great. Well, with it, you also have to raise up children for Naomi, uh, uh, children with Ruth. Uh, it, you still want to redeem it? And he says, oh, no, that will jeopardize my own inheritance. And so what it's showing is that this dialogue shows how intimidating it is to be a family redeemer in this culture. And that it's actually truly a selfless act with great responsibility. The role that Boaz is, is pursuing by by taking on Ruth to be her redeemer, to, to even marry her, is, is pursuing much more than just taking a woman to be his wife. And it's much more than just having a fun wedding with everyone simply going home afterwards and living happily ever after. I feel like when we read this part of the story, and you see that uh, at the end of the story, Boaz marries Ruth, and it shows it's literally like a celebration. Everyone's so happy. And it says uh, that it that uh, their children actually start the lineage of, lineage of David and all the way to Jesus, the Messiah. And so it's like it gives this portrayal of happily ever after. But what we're actually seeing is that it implies so much responsibility that it causes people to literally run away from it. That it actually is a selfless, such an incredibly selfless act and not self-seeking to be the family redeemer for Ruth in this story. And it implies that even his first child from Ruth would not even be his own legally. It also means that he would have to take on the family and land responsibilities while still keeping all of his own affairs in order. So it's like the idea of, 
uh, imagine you you have your own vehicle. You have to make your you have to pay your insurance. You have to change the oil. You have to keep up the battery, the tires, and all that. And before you have the knowledge of the responsibility of a car, the idea of just having the nicest car sounds great. But then all of a sudden, you, if you ever get two cars, you're like, well, this is nice and all, but like now I have to pay like more insurance. And say now imagine if you got four cars. And you have to pay the upkeep and resp be responsible for all of those vehicles. Do you see how like it, in, uh, the, it increases the amount of stress, the amount of work, the amount of responsibility just for a simple vehicle? And now look at, you're talking about actual land and having to cultivate it, having to get workers, having to, to actually keep up uh, land and property in a time with no technology like that we have today. And having to even just to, to do all that um, while at the same time keeping your own stuff in order, keeping your what I mean, I could barely make it right now on my, you know, just with my stuff. The idea of taking care of a whole new project that sounds insane. And so when Boaz is pursuing this, it is literally stresses a person out to the point where they don't even want it for free. Y'all get what I'm saying? It's a lot of work. And so Boaz pursuing this for Ruth. Ruth is the one that presented herself and offered herself. To, for him to be his, the family redeemer, and he could have refused it, and he would have had every right to say no, but the loyalty Ruth showed uh, inspired him to show that same kind of loyalty in return to where he acted so selflessly in, in, in affirming and in, in becoming her family redeemer that uh, he truly showed what loyalty being selfless looks like. We In, in our culture, we become so conditioned to look at look out only for ourselves it's our conditioning to look out only for yourself no one else is going to look out for you except for you right but loyalty it urges us to be selfless and even sacrifice for someone or something it's counterintuitive and that's uh that's why loyalty really has just been that sign on uh, that sign on the wall at some random business. That loyalty is one of our core values. It's only been uh, that initial HR onboarding process to where you hear about loyalty, and you never really experience it in our world today. Loyalty truly is a, a redeeming quality, and it it requires us to be selfless. Now, let's look at the next part of the story, and that is. Being that loyalty is filled with contributors, contributors. Loyalty fulfills a purpose greater than oneself. Loyalty fulfills a purpose that is greater than oneself. Let's finish this, this dialogue. It says, so the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from this hand, from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Mahalan. Furthermore, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess and the the widow of Mahalan to be my wife, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be eliminated from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. What, what this part of the story, we now see that Boaz has taken the reins of being the family redeemer. And we saw how 
one person was looking at uh, the person he offered it to said, this will, this will, this will be good for me. But then once he realized it was a selfless act, he said, oh, I don't want to have anything to part of it. And now we see that Boaz is taking on the reins and it says, it's almost like this moment where in this, this culture, this family that has experienced this incredible hardship is saying, who will help us? Who will redeem us? And Boaz literally says here, I will, I will do it. And he, and he, he says, I will in order to do this and in order to raise up a family, not for myself. What, what we're seeing here is there's so many needs around us that are waiting for someone to rise up and say, I will. There's so many needs. Boaz saw a need and it was almost like this need that he saw. That, I mean, Boaz is an older guy. He's been around a long time and he sees this need and it becomes a part of his purpose. And when you're loyal to a purpose, when you're loyal to a need, you become a contributor to that need. A lot of times we think that we have one purpose in life. It's not necessarily true. We have multiple purposes that we fulfill in this world. A, a lot of people find one of their purposes in, in becoming a parent. Uh, Mother's Day is like a day where a lot of people reflect as like, once I had my kid, once I had my baby, it's like I knew what my purpose was. Anyone ever hear someone say that before? It's, and the truth is that it's one of the purposes, but there's actually so much more for us to fulfill. There's so much more in this life that God has actually destined you to, to, to be a part of and to contribute in order to fulfill that purpose. But even when we look at motherhood, that is definitely a, a contributing purpose. It takes everything from you to be able to contribute to that baby. Being a father of three now, I feel like uh, me and my wife had an accelerated rate at parenthood. <laughs> um, it's like we just had one kid, and, <laughs> and all of a sudden we got three kids. Um, we're a very fruitful family. We're very productive. But um, it's mainly that our Netflix expired. We didn't have anything better to do. Uh, <laughs> my wife just said I was stupid. Uh, <laughs> but it, being a, a parent, it, it truly is a sacrifice. I mean, I just told my wife this morning, I said, uh, she usually cares for in the middle of the night. She'll take care of our, our baby, uh, little Homer, and I'll take care of the two older kids that are about to be two and three. They're not even two and three yet, but I'll take care of them because they'll wake up throughout the night and start crying. I'm like, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, go back to bed right now. And, and they're like, I want water though. It's like, <laughs> I just gave you water 30 minutes ago. <laughs> it's literally impossible for you to be dehydrated in that time. <laughs> and, um, and last night, they didn't wake up throughout the night. And I, I woke up this morning, and I literally felt like it was the first time I slept ever since we had kids. Like, really slept. And I was like, oh, my God. And I told Lauren, I was like, you know, I really feel like, you know, that was the first time I, I feel so rested. I feel great. And she's like, Homer woke up five times last night. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's like... Uh, it just never stops. There's always something that, that requires a contribution as a parent. 
even on the way here, we loaded the kids in the car and all of a sudden it was like, oh, joy poops. Um, I have to do something. And that, that idea right there, I have to do something. That is the essence of finding your purpose. Because the reality is, those moments that we, we hear that in our heart, in our soul, I have to do something. The reality is, you, you logically don't have to, but you feel a burden so pressed on your heart that you feel like you have to. You feel me? And whenever you get that unction, that is a, that is a thread of you finding part of your purpose. One of, one of your many purposes. For Boaz, raising up a family for Ruth and t- being her redeemer and taking her as his wife is, is one of his big purposes in life. And while others would not rise to the occasion, he said, I will. He saw a need and he fulfilled it. And I want you to examine your own heart for a moment. And examine your heart for what really burdens you. The things that burden us now may change in several years. But right now, what is burdening your heart? And you may actually find one of your purposes to be fulfilled. It takes looking outward to see what you can contribute. Seeing what you can do. Those moments where you say someone should do something. And you feel that like really quiet voice in your heart that says, what about you? Finding your purpose is looking outward to see what you can contribute, what you can give, rather looking outward at what you can consume. A big part of Christianity is changing from being a consumer to a contributor. Even in our culture, the way that we view church, the way that we view Christianity is a consuming mindset. What can God do for me? Rather than, what can I do for God? Church, what can church do for me rather than what can I do for my church? It, and it, truly, once we become, once you start connecting your heart more towards God, more towards church, more towards others, it truly just like organically starts shifting to what can I do? What can I do? And that is a sign of loyalty being brewed in your heart. Now, don't get me wrong, especially with churches, there's been a lot of toxic leadership within churches. I think it's more so immaturity or of giving, getting a great responsibility of, of people trusting you without really being ready for it. And that's what really produces toxic leadership to where you're talking about spiritual leaders that, that are spiritual and sound, but still have incredible insecurities. That have, that have incredible uh, moral faults or integrity issues. And so once it, you start getting a lot of people trusting you, it's really easy for that, that toxicity to start permeating in leadership to where it, a lot of people have been hurt by church when they've contributed a lot. You dig what I'm saying? And so I want to be clear in saying, <laughs> I'm not trying to make this a, a call for everyone to give everything you got and, and uh Without looking back, I'm telling you that it's a sign of loyalty and that moving our hearts from consumers to contributors is a sign that God is doing something in our hearts. But it doesn't mean that we we should, especially if we've been hurt before, it doesn't mean that we should just be naive or gullible. We still have to really 
know, uh, know what, what we're following, what we're pursuing, and what we're trusting, or who we're trusting. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So that leads us into our last point, which is life givers. Loyalty produces life givers, people who are life givers. Loyalty sustains hope for the future. You know, we talked about how loyalty is, is selfless. We talked about how it produces purpose. And now we're really looking at how it produces faith. Loyalty truly produces faith and hope. At the end of this story, it says that, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he had relations with her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you one who restores life and sustains your old age. <laughs> it's like called her old right there. <laughs> For your daughter-in-law, who is Ruth, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. I want to just take a moment that, do you see how, how powerful loyalty is? To where Ruth, while only being an in-law to her, has become someone to where people look at her like, Man, my son doesn't treat me like that. I wish I had a, 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 a child like Ruth. And they're, they're acknowledging that Ruth is, is like something that, while so much was taken away, Ruth became someone that was more important than most people viewed their own children. So better than seven sons. That's a lot, of, that's a lot of, to take on. And then it says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So the implications of this part of the story is one, like I said, that first baby became Naomi's. It became a, the, the replacement child to keep on the lineage and name for her husband and her sons so that their name would not go out. And what it also shows is that not only did that happen, but it, it became the lineage for David, who is the, the greatest king that's ever lived in Israel, and which is the lineage for Jesus to be born. And so this lineage is so important because it's a lineage that God chooses for Jesus to, to come through by. And it, we see it going all the way back to this moment with a profound act of loyalty where loyal people all uh, just like we looked at this whole month all these different loyal people they've sowed seeds of loyalty to each other all the way to the point of death and it got to this point for Naomi where at the beginning of this story we saw her life literally go from being pleasant everything's just normal everything's okay to being utterly bitter to where she wanted to be left alone she didn't want to have anything to do with life she pushed away the only family that she had left, but Ruth wouldn't let her push her away. And she clinged to her even though she tried. And she went from that bitterness to where a loyal person like Ruth brought her all the way to being blessed. It, it's In this part, it's all that they're saying, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. 
God has restored you. Notice how at the beginning we, we saw that she saw God as afflicting her, as hurting her, as abandoning her. And now we see full circle that her hope is restored. She literally feels revived again. She feels life with inside of her again because of the acts of loyalty of Ruth and Boaz. What I'm getting at is that the, the acts that we perform as, as loyal people are really God, is God using you to do something in other people's lives? Ruth, uh, Naomi literally felt abandoned by God and now she feels like she's seen by God. Isn't that a total turnaround? And it shows that the struggles we face, the pains that we're going through, it literally is like that pain wants us to stay in, in the wound and stay there forever. And it's almost like we never feel like we're going to heal. But if we allow people that, that are really loyal to us and trust them into our lives, it's only when we have, uh, allow our community to grow like that, people to, to, to contribute to our lives instead of resisting everyone, that we can actually get out of that pain and into a hope, into a, this faith like Naomi experience where we're actually able to not only be healed, but like have life again. I can only imagine how Naomi felt like her life was over after everything that happened to her. You, you know, when you experience like incredible pain and trauma like that, you, there is no hope of a future. It's like, how can I ever be past right this moment? And we see full circle how the loyalty of others helped show God's love in Naomi's life. And so it, I want to urge us to one, it shows us that we need to let people in. And two, shows us that we need to be that for others. I mean, aren't loyal people hard to come by these days? It's really hard to find someone that is loyal, someone that is a true friend, someone that you can trust. So if it's so hard to find people like that, why don't we just start by being people like that? Ah, you like that, right? <laughs> Flip the script. When we act loyally in the darkness of unknown, Ruth did not know what the full circle was going to look like. She just saw a need and was willing to say, I will. Naomi has no one. I will. And in that darkness of the unknown, it produced a light that could not be hidden. And loyalty of others carries our faith past the worry and, and really makes the the hard journey that we're facing, sustainable. It doesn't mean that we don't get that hard journey. We get to skip the hard journey. What it means is that that journey becomes sustainable. We're actually able to, to live through it and come out the other side when we have loyal people to, to cling to and help carry us through. Y'all feel me? And many would have given up if it wasn't for the loyalty and faithfulness of others, of someone during hard times. When we look at the hard times we've faced and the, the parts that made it most bearable, if you were to look back at the pain you experienced, the hard times, a lot of us can look and see that what made it sustainable, what made it bearable is that we could lean on somebody. Because a lot of times when we don't have that, that person to lean on, we go to some horrible things in order to cope. We go to some difficult, hard places 
to, in order to cope with that hard time when we don't have somebody to lean on. I want us to, to close our eyes and bow our heads. I believe that a lot of people here have faced hard times like that. And maybe the very reason that you would call yourself a Christian today is because you didn't have loyal people to sustain you through. You didn't have anybody else to lean on. But in that moment of a very hard time, you look to God. You look to Jesus, and you realize that He truly was able to sustain you through all that pain, through all that hardship. And even without really truly understanding the depths of God or the Scripture, you just knew that He was there for you when you needed Him. It's not even complicated. You don't even know how to, how to say it, how to articulate it. You just know that God helped you through it. You don't really know how, but you just know that He did. And that is because God is all of these things. He's the, the example and epitome of loyalty. He is selfless in His love towards us. He is our Redeemer. And He is our life giver. Jesus said that I've come to give you life and life abundantly. He wasn't talking about material things. He was talking about the, really the deepness of our souls. Feeling life again after feeling all the pain. And so right now, if you're here and you're listening to this, and maybe you're at a point where it's, you actually are still at that decision moment, to where you're looking and wondering, is God able to be there for me in this time? And Jesus is pushing on your heart to hope in Him, to put your trust in Him. And He's saying, I'll be loyal to you. And if that's you, and you know that you need to make that decision today, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. God, you see all the people here, and I pray that your presence would be upon them right now in this moment. I pray against all guilt, all condemnation. I speak for any lies of the enemy to leave this place in the name of Jesus. I feel like some of you are getting condemning thoughts, and the Holy Spirit is not sending you those. God, I I believe that in this moment you're inspiring peace. You're inspiring comfort. And I speak your truth in this moment. I pray for your presence to come upon the people here today. I pray that you would confirm the reality of your love and the strength of hope in you. If you rose your hand, I want you to just have your own conversation with God. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died on the cross for our sins and the sins of the world, and that he rose from the dead, that surely you would be saved. And I believe it was an, an eternal salvation as well as a worldly salvation, being saved from the struggles that we face. Not that we wouldn't face struggles, but that God would give us a peace through the struggle. And so, God, I pray that you help people to have that conversation with you, that there wouldn't be anybody here knowing that they need to make a decision today 
not make that decision and that you just make it clear on their hearts that this would be a day that they would mark in their calendars as a day that they made a decision for Christ. Lord, I pray that you finish what you started in everybody else here. If you're here and you just feel like God is impressing on you a direction, he's speaking to you something specific, and, and you just know it on your heart. It's like you feel like you're being reminded of it throughout this message, and God is just confirming something he's already told you. And God is just working on your heart in that way. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. I see your hands. God, finish what you started in them. And if you, if you feel almost like questionative right now in this moment, I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit, what are you trying to tell me in this message today? What is it that you are leading me to do? And the Holy Spirit will tell you directly. God, I thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your freedom and your salvation. I thank you that you, that you, that you have given us life, that you have redeemed us, and that you have showed us the greatest act of selflessness by dying for us on the cross. We recognize that you rose from the dead and that we can trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. In the same kind of tone, we're going to enter it to a time of worship. Um, but before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a great rest of your day. Have a good life. We love you. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.